Hello and welcome to the Bold Love Podcast with Pastor Bob Roberts Jr. My name is Josh Tate and we are so thrilled that you are listening today to this special episode. Well, I guess you can call it the election edition as we have the privilege to speak with Senator James Lankford from Oklahoma. Now at the Bold Love Podcast, we have a variety of people who believe differently and think differently, but all with a focus on bridge building and peacemaking. Now, clearly, Senator Lankford is a Republican, and it is a tense time in our nation right now during election season. But we encourage you, regardless of your faith, your job, your political party or background, just keep listening. This podcast is an opportunity for us to focus on what binds us together, not what separates us. So as we've always said, we want to facilitate these conversations and tell stories that will encourage you, the listener, to live out your faith boldly, how to better love your neighbor, and learn how to relate to others despite your differences without compromising your faith. And this episode is no different. We have the absolute honor of speaking with Senator James Lankford. He served four years in the U.S. House of Representatives for Central Oklahoma until he was elected to the U.S. Senate in 2014. Now, before his service in Congress, Senator Lankford served students and families for more than 20 years in ministry, including 15 years as the director of student ministry for the Baptist Convention of Oklahoma, and then he was the director of Falls Creek, which is the largest youth camp in the United States. Now, Senator Langford has such a phenomenal and uncommon story of how he went from a youth pastor to a politician. And we asked him about civility in our nation, the impact of social media and big tech on our people, and the many divides in our nation, including race, politics, refugees, and faith relations, and how we can push forward into coming together more as a nation. But before our interview with Senator Langford, I want to introduce you to the host of the Bold Love podcast, Dr. Bob Roberts Jr. Pastor Bob, I mentioned that it is important to find these common grounds and listen and become friends with those that might not think like you do and they believe differently than you do. Why do you think it's important for listeners to take time to hear from those that are different from them? It's critical because most of us live in an echo chamber. There's been a tremendous amount of research done on this. And the new film everybody's talking about, Social Dilemma, even talks about it as well, that uh, things that literally are put in front of you, your unique tastes that cause you to respond to them. And we're living in a time where we're getting news from one source or we listen to one person and, and we view all these people are really good and all those people are really bad. You don't wanna be a fatality of Facebook, Google, or any of the rest of those social media items. And so I think it's critical. You may go through withdrawal, but instead of listening to an hour of Fox, why don't you listen to 15 minutes of CNN and then 45 minutes of Fox, and then add BBC in there. I love the BBC. And so now you've got Fox 30 Minutes, the BBC, and and, and you've now got CNN. And, and if you really want to know, then add 20% of what you listen to the Bold Love podcast. <laughs> Where are you going to find those people with different views? You're just going to be reinforcing, reinforcing what you already think. It's like a drug. You're like a drone. 
Don't be a drone. Yeah, and Senator Langford touches on just that, about the dangers of social media and how those algorithms are in place um, to really just hone in on what you like, which by default kind of separates everyone from hearing the other side. That's just so dangerous. So we're going to go ahead and go into our interview with Senator Langford. On the tail end of the interview, we're going to come back with Pastor Bob, and he's going to give some comments about the interview with Senator Langford, uh, talking about some action steps. So listen to the very end as we come back on with Pastor Bob. So here we go. Senator James Langford and Pastor Bob Roberts Jr. here on the Bold Love Podcast. So it's an honor, Senator Langford, to have you join us today. And I've always admired you, respected you. Man, I went wild when I found out this man was a youth pastor, a camp director, and now he's a U.S. senator. How in God's name does that happen? Yeah, we, we've had quite a few pastors over the 200 plus year history of our country. Uh, I don't know that we've had a, a youth pastor uh, ever end up in Congress as well. And depending on your relationship with the people that you know that work with students, that either excites you or terrifies you uh, <laughs> to be able to know that a youth pastor ended up serving in the United States Senate. Uh, th- this is what my wife calls life's greatest interruption for us. Uh, we never planned to be in Congress. Uh, this was not our intent one day to be able to do it. But right at 10 years ago, we really felt a calling to do it. We were doing full-time ministry. I hadn't been involved in politics. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not in a family that's involved in politics. No one around us is involved in politics. Uh, but about 10 years ago, we really sensed a calling to do this and spent about seven months praying and struggling through that, uh, thinking, gosh, this is just craziness. We, 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 you can't just jump in from youth ministry and running into Congress. Uh, but I had this overwhelming sense that this is what I had to do. And in fact, I, I, at one point, I, I, with my wife and I, we sat down and talked about it, prayed about it, and said, okay, we're going to spend a month uh, just struggling through this. And I honestly felt like uh, this was going to be like Abraham and Isaac going up to Mount Moriah, that God was just going to test them and see if they're faithful to be able to do anything to follow him. Uh, but instead, we finished that month, and it was as if God said, I, I hope you brought a knife, because th- this time we're really going to do it. Uh, we're-, we're really going to make a shift here. And it wasn't just a test of faithfulness to see if we would pray about it. It was really a sense of, come follow me. Uh, this is what I want you to do. And uh, so we got our house in order and resigned my position as a youth pastor and director of a camp and started running for Congress and spent a full year uh, running, obviously won that race and have served now for 10 years. Uh, it has been our absolute joy, but it has been our complete surprise uh, to be able to be in this task at this time. All right. Quick question. I've been a senior pastor. I'm just dying to ask. You've got this deep voice. Do you sing? I don't sing except next to my wife in church. That's it. I, I really should not be singing in front of other people. <laughs> that guy should be a worship pastor. So I'm an evangelical pastor. Uh, we have an organizations of rabbis, evangelical pastors, and imams. And we work together here in the States to bring down the tension. We're doing it around the world, working with Ambassador Brownback in places like Pakistan and Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Nigeria, in uh, Sudan this year. Uh, we'll be going into those countries. I was really sad last week. I got a call from the Carter Center. They're working with some other organizations. They're concerned about elections and violence and so forth. And so we are literally mobilizing our network uh, of 
you know, different political parties, different faiths to encourage clerics to help bring down the tension. I'm very concerned about what I perceive as a loss of civility in our country. Do you share that concern? Give me some hope. I mean, how do you see this? Yeah, I wish I could give you some hope on that. I really do share that same concern that uh, we've become more and more polarized as a nation. Uh, we only speak to people that uh, think like us. And when we find out someone doesn't think like us, we isolate them, cancel them, or just say, you're, you're no longer connected to me. I can't believe you think that. And uh, so now we're not going to get a chance to hang out together. Uh, it, from the Psalms, I read through the Psalms in the morning from one of the Psalms I read recently. Uh, ends with the declaration, I, I'm a man of peace living among people that are a people of war. And it was this grief for the psalmist to be able to write and say, how do we exhibit peace among a group of people that are so passionate about being at war all the time? We can't just be at war all the time with each other. Uh, so one of the challenges that I really have to people is one is getting to know people. There, there are 80 issues we may agree on and 20 issues we disagree on. Uh, we've got to be able to treat each other with dignity and respect. All of us who believe that each person is created in the image of God and each person has a thumbprint of God in them in their creation should be able to respect other people, even in our differences, and be able to have that dialogue. And quite frankly, people of faith should lead the way on that. It, it shouldn't bother me that someone has a faith different than me next to me. That'll, if I'm in a place that allows me to be able to live my faith freely and protects their right to live their faith freely, uh, I, I should be able to still live my beliefs and then be able to live their beliefs as well. It, it should be the same on political issues as well. Uh, we're not going to agree on each on each thing, but we shouldn't demonize each other uh, in the process of believing something different or try to silence them, destroy them, or drive them out. Uh, going back to the very familiar uh, statement of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., hate doesn't drive out a hate. Only love can do that. And so this perpetual that person hates and so I'm going to hate them louder. And it just makes the hate go louder and louder and louder as everybody's trying to yell at each other to silence each other uh, rather than trying to actually sit down and actually have real dialogue. How do you think we got to this point? Have you thought about that? Any thoughts? I, I, I know this is the easy culprit in it, but I think social media does drive this a lot. Uh, the algorithms and social media gather you with people who think like you, uh, and it's easy just to be able to throw out a critical, caustic remark to someone online. And now people get likes uh, from being the most caustic person. If you're the most sarcastic, most caustic person, you get affirmed by some people by doing that. And what happens is millions of people just turn off of that and say, I'm just not going to participate at all. I'm not going to go it. I'm not going to read it. It just sucks my time away. And it's a dark, evil place uh, where people just attack each other. And then you've got this whole group of people that are consumed with what other people are saying all day long about other people and how they're attacking other people. Uh, that, that creates two cultures uh, and it separates people more and more. And I, I know it's not everything, uh, but it is driving a lot of our national dialogue right now. And the fake news and fake information, a headline that's out there that grabs your attention, you read the story and find out it's different than the headline, or the fake news uh, that's out there, both created by other countries and sent to us, or that we create on ourselves and just be able to send. It just reaffirms this belief that those people are evil and that belief is wrong. And, uh, and instead of having real dialogue, uh, we spend all of our time trying to attack each other, and it's dark, uh, and it is not helpful for us as a nation. I'm grateful to the way you position yourself, how you talk, how you're respectful of other people. Uh, you're white. 
evangelical. Uh, I am too. Sometimes we don't have the best uh, image by other people. And that always makes me sad because I want people to have a positive image of Jesus. And if they look at me and they see somebody who's negative, harsh, mean-spirited, I've admired the way you've reached across the aisle. I've uh, met Senator Tim Scott. I think the world of him. And I see you two together sometimes as you work together on racial issues and a lot of other issues. Uh, tell us a little bit about that relationship. Yeah, uh, Tim Scott and I have a great relationship. We work a lot on tax policy together. We work on family policy. He's been the lead person for what's called Opportunity Zones, which is a way to provide access to private capital to the poorest neighborhoods in America and uh, trying to be able to make sure that we can engage in a way to be able to help all those communities. We've worked on police reform and race relations. There's a lot of things that we've done together. Uh, we have a great friendship, but I have great respect for how he does the hard issues as well. And he and I try to partner together on many of these issues because we have a, a very common heart in that. Uh, my focus is I, I don't win over people by screaming at them and by cussing them out. Uh, I've never read a single thing online where someone was cussing me out and telling me how stupid I am that I've read it and thought, you're so smart, I should think like you. Yeah. I've just never done that. And I, I just don't believe people win someone over. If your goal is to attack them, belittle them, and to make yourself feel big based on you stuck it to the man, uh, you can certainly do that by attacking someone else and you can walk away and be self-aggrandized and walk away. Or if you want to actually win the argument and win a friend, you can actually have real dialogue and to say, okay, well, how, how do we solve this? Uh, and not just yell at each other, but how do we actually resolve this? So I I, I do sit down with people on the other side of the aisle. I sit down with people with opposing viewpoints and want to be able to hear their perspective on it. Uh, I try to take those risks to be able to sit down and have real dialogue with people that really want to have dialogue. Not everyone does, uh, but some people really do want to have real dialogue to be able to resolve these things. It's quite frankly the same thing that I have in my own personal faith. Not everyone shares my faith and the belief that Jesus Christ is the, is the Son of God and who saves us and redeems us. Not everyone has that belief, but I don't win them over by yelling at them and belittling them. Yeah. Uh, I can have real dialogue with people that want to have real dialogue on that issue of faith, just like in politics, just like in other practices as well. Uh, whether it's what movie do you like uh, or what music do you like or what food do you like, uh, all of those things we can have dialogues about and be able to talk about and we'll have disagreements but we should be able to talk it out and be able to treat each other with dignity and respect. It's real funny. I was talking to a friend early this morning, uh, very successful, very prominent, and he's not my faith. And he just had a child. He's so excited. And uh, he asked how to dedicate his child to God and so forth. Opened up a whole opportunity to talk about prayer, prayer for your family. How do you raise your kids in a home of faith? And he's asking me about my faith. So I, I really believe that. I affirm that. And I love the way you model that. And, and hey, for what it's worth, I think Langford Scott, Scott Langford, would make a fantastic ticket in the next four years. I feel Jesus saying something there. I'm teasing you. But I think y'all would make great. Hey, let me ask you some quick questions just about some of the areas and give us about one or two minutes each of how you see these divides and how you think maybe we could pull out of them. Race. Uh, race is across the dinner table. Uh, this is one I talk about a lot. Uh, race is not something you can legislate. Uh, there are things that we can do legislatively to make sure equal opportunity, equal access to capital, equal access to justice. All those things are fair. That's a legislative action. But ultimately, the issue of race is a family issue and a heart issue. 
Racism is passed on through families quietly by not confronting it or overtly uh, by statements that are made by parents and grandparents that get passed on to kids. That chain gets broken when one of those generations sits down with someone that is of another race, of another culture, sits down, has a meal, has dialogues, develops friendships, and begins to break down that barrier for the next generation. It can also happen for a parent or grandparent. Uh, what I challenge them to do is to be able to invite a family of another race to their home for a meal. Uh, I'm amazed at how many people I talk to of all races that they've never had a family of another race in their home for a meal. So their kids had never, literally never sat it under a table with their parents in a family of another race, all at the same table at their house. Uh, that's something that we should be able to break through. Uh, and kids pick up the subtle little things, uh, just setting the example in your home of developing real friendships and a real, a real sense of equality in that conversation helps the next generation to be able to break through some unspoken things. Uh, so that, that has to be engaged. Republicans, Democrats. Oh, there's no hope there. Just move on. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that, 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 that is an issue, quite frankly, that's going to be a lot of outside groups and a lot of people in dialogue. There are a lot of people around the country that that will write me in my own state and say, stop talking to those Democrats. Uh, they're just all evil. They're all mean. They're all wrong. We got to beat them, not talk to them. And Democrats have the same exact thing. Uh, I have some of my Democrat colleagues that will talk about thousands of protesters that showed up at their house uh, to be able to yell at them for not being liberal enough. And uh, you're talking to too many Republicans and you're trying to cut deals and stop it. Just run over them and destroy them. Uh, we don't have any common ground. We're all Americans. Let's start there. We do have common ground. Uh, we do want to see the debt go down. We do want to see opportunity for health care. We do want to see opportunity for our kids in schools. Uh, we do all believe the same things. We get all these false accusations that that, that group hates health care. They hate education. They hate teachers. They hate workers. They whatever it may be. None of those things are true. We do need to sit down and work out some differences of opinion on how to achieve those things. Uh, and until we move past that and actually be able to talk to each other and get resolution, and quite frankly, the American people give a little bit of space for people to be able to sit down and to visit and to solve things, it doesn't get better. If only the activists get heard, then only the activists mm -hmm. actually get engagement, and then we stay polarized. Refugees. Uh, we should honor refugees, both as Americans uh, and around the world. Uh, these are folks that, uh, through no fault of their own, got pushed out by war or famine uh, or whatever it may, may have occurred, pestilence uh, that came through an area. Uh, we as Americans have opened up our, our homes and our, and our communities to refugees for decades and decades, and we should continue to do that. Uh, now, refugees also go through a pretty long process of actually being uh, background checked and evaluated. It's about 18 months. Uh, just to be able to move into the United States. Uh, so it's not a simple process, but our churches, our communities, our workplaces should open up our arms to these refugees that have gone through that formal process to actually come into the United States and uh, to come legally to us. Going in and out of war zones, I'm around refugees a lot, and I've come up with a plan where we can help them there if you want to talk one of these days. It's only a trillion dollars, and we can have it fixed next month. So keep that in mind. Yeah. Right. A trillion used to seem like a big amount of money. Now we seem to be throwing that <laughs> I around. Know. I know. What's a trillion dollars? So what about what about Muslims and evangelicals? We've got the worst divide of any. Our own research bears it out. Yeah, it, it was interesting. I, I have a friend of mine that does a lot of research and study on uh, bias and prejudice and hiring uh, for workplaces. And he found the two groups 
that have the greatest amount of bias against them in the workplace for hiring are fundamentalist Christians, evangelical <laughs> fundamentalist Christians, and Muslims. Yeah. Uh, those two groups have the greatest amount of bias against them in the workplace. When, if they if they find out their faith when they go through the interview, a lot of times they're not hired from those two groups. Uh, it's also become a polarizing issue among those two groups uh, to be able to talk to each other. Uh, so we should be able to have real dialogue. There are areas of common ground, beginning with the fact of we're Americans. Let's start there. And uh, we may have differences of opinion on faith, but our nation and our constitution protect the rights of individuals to be able to choose any faith, to change their faith, or to have no faith at all and to be able to be a good American. Uh, so we've got to be able to sit down and be able to work through. There are some areas that we should be able to have dialogue. For instance, many of my Muslim friends that I interact with are very passionate about the value of life. Yeah. Uh, this issue about abortion and the value yeah. of the child, that's common ground where we should be able to work on those policy issues together. Me and my Muslim friends are very passionate about the issue of poverty and about trying to be able to help individuals to be able to escape poverty or work ethic and to be able to learn job skills and to be able to engage. That's a common ground issue for me. We're going to have disagreements on faith, uh, but we should be able to find areas of common ground on areas in culture that we should be able to work on together and legislative action we should work on together. There shouldn't be any reason that we shouldn't be able to still have friendships. I have neighbors that are Muslim. We interact with in our own neighborhood and our own community and have friendships uh, to be able to engage. Shouldn't be an issue for that. I'm very excited that uh, the Emirates and Bahrain and now Sudan is recognizing Israel. And I'm for all of those countries doing that. That's normalization of relations. It's really not a peace plan between the Palestinians and the Israelis. Uh, I'm very much pro-Israel, but I'm also pro-Palestinian. I love them both. Uh, how do you see that playing out? What, do you have a vision for that or thoughts on that? So the Abraham Accords, uh, that was the framework for all that dialogue, is very powerful for people that have actually read it. Because some people say, well, I, they heard about it on the news, but they have, actually haven't read the document for the Abraham Accords. It begins with the very first paragraph with a commitment to religious liberties for their countries. Uh, so this is the Emirates, this is uh, Bahrain, this is uh, Sudan. Uh, obviously, Egypt signed on something similar to this in 1979. They really started this out. Uh, Jordan in 1994. Uh, but the beginning of this covenant, uh, that is the Abraham Accords, is to say we're going to not only recognize each other and try to normalize diplomatic relationships, economic relationships, we're going to work towards uh, all faiths being allowed to be able to thrive in our country. And the commitment from Israel is we're not going to block out Muslims being able to get uh, to be able to worship or Christians to be able to worship or Jews. But we ask the same thing of the Emiratis as well, that they also allow Christians and Jews uh, to be able to thrive in their country or people of no faith at all to be able to thrive uh, as they do in other areas. So it's not just an economic commitment. It's an actual cultural and faith commitment as well uh, from the Abraham Accords to say, let's break down some of those barriers and allow people to be able to live their faith. Uh, I've, I've had a conversation with someone earlier today about this issue, and uh, we were talking through some of the things I say, really, your faith is your most precious possession. That's something that I own is my faith. And when someone from government steps in and says, I don't agree with your faith, you can't practice that, they're literally reaching into your soul and taking away your most precious possession and saying only government can decide that for you. That is the ultimate government overreach on it, uh, but allowing people to be able to have a faith, change their faith, live their faith, or have no faith uh, is, a, is a great gift from every community and country. I love that. Just don't forget those Palestinians. We got a bunch of evangelicals over there, and I just my heart goes out to them. 
I want Israel secure, but I want those Palestinians to know that uh, we care about them too. And, yeah, uh, for 75 years they have heard that there will be a return, that the, we're going to drive the Israelis out, we're going to run them into the sea, and all these caustic terms that have been heard. And there's finally many people in the region that are speaking into Palestinian leaders and saying, you're giving language that's caustic and divisive, and you're setting up false hopes of things that are not going to occur. How can we form peace together? Uh, I don't run into Israelis that say, I, I don't want Palestinians around at all. They just want to know, how do we get stability and security? Uh, how do we not have terrorism? And for Palestinians, they want to know, can I get to the hospital? Can I, can I, can I have a job that actually pays better than what I have right now? Can I have access to education the same as others? And for those Palestinians that live in refugee camps, they're in the Palestinian area in a refugee camp. And literally the kids across the street that are also Palestinian have greater opportunities than what they have. And we just can't have that lack of opportunity just based on the neighborhood that you live in uh, when they're among a people. And uh, that kind of injustice just drives on you over and over again. So getting justice for all people in all places does make a difference. It does. So I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if they teach this in Oklahoma history, but did you know that Texas was the only state that fought and won its independence outside of it? Did you know that? I did did know know that. that when we won our independence, Oklahoma was a part of us. A part so, of Oklahoma was. That, that's that's right. And so I want to just uh, make sure you realize that you are the ex officio ambassador to Texas because we would love to claim you down here. I mean, uh, I, I'm proud of you just for what it's worth. Uh, yes, you're a senator. I respect you, but you're my brother in Christ. And I want you to know that I'm grateful for your walk with God, your character, and your integrity. And I just want to challenge you every day. Don't let them buy you. Don't let them bully you. Don't let them reject your faith. There's a lot of ways we can reject our faith beyond denying Jesus by the way that we live. And uh, you mean a lot to the kingdom of God. And uh, I'm grateful for you. And if you ever want to come to Texas and run, hey, welcome home. Now, here's the last question I want to ask you, because I know you've got to go and you're busy. We have a lot of Muslims and Jews and Buddhists and atheists that watch this from all over the world. What does Jesus Christ mean to you, Senator Langford? This is not a Christian podcast. It's a podcast with a lot of different kinds of people that are on it. But what does Jesus Christ mean to you as a person? So I was eight years old and was sitting in church up in the balcony of my church uh, because I tended to get in trouble in church and not pay attention. And it was easier for my mom to pull me out of the balcony that wasn't the main floor. But I was actually paying attention in church one, one Sunday. And I'll never forget having this sudden realization, there is a God and I don't know him. And as simple as that sounds, that began a process for me to start asking questions, even as a redheaded little eight-year-old kid, just ask the simple questions, if there is a God, can I know him? Does he care to know me at all? And that beginning point started this journey for me to be able to know more about Jesus Christ. And for me to to be able to know the story of Jesus uh, was something that I get around American culture, but it was different to know the story of Jesus and to actually understand not only, yes, there is a God who spoke and created the universe. uh, And I understand the complexities of the universe. I don't believe it all happened accidentally. I don't think this was a random rock thrown into space and all of the things that are, and all the beauty and all, all the things that we see in plant life and birds and animals is just accidental in time and pressure. 
I don't think I think it's much more than that. It's, it shows the, the the validity of an intelligent designer. Uh, so it was more than just saying, I believe that there is a creator and a creation. It's does he still care about us? What I find in the story of Jesus is not just God himself that both created, but he never walked away from his creation. He was always engaged in his creation and his creation, myself included, walked away from him. He found a way to be able to draw us back to him. And that was Jesus, uh, God himself coming to earth, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, showing us what perfect love looks like and literally paying the sacrifice that if I was separated from God because of my sin, the only way I could be reunited to God would be for someone to pay for my sin. Either I pay for it in my own separation or God himself pays for it because no one else is worthy to pay the price. Uh, no one else is good enough to be able to pay that for me. I'm certainly not good enough to pay it for myself. Uh, so that gift that Jesus gives us of not only access back to God, but forgiveness, uh, to be able to hear the God of the universe say, you're forgiven, is a remarkable thing. Uh, other people can tell me you're forgiven, and that's nice, but it's different than to hear it from God to say, I know what you've done. I've paid the price for your sins. If you'll come, I'll forgive you is a remarkable transition and the ability for me then to be able to live a life directed by God. I, I really do believe Jesus when he said, come follow me, wasn't just here's a book, read this book and figure it out. I really think he was trying to guide us and to say, I'll guide your days. I'll help you uh, if you will come follow me. Senator Langford, I prayed for you this morning. I'm going to pray for you in the morning and maybe the third day if I don't forget. But you matter to God and you matter to us. Thank you for taking the time to come on this podcast. You bet. Glad to be able to do it. Appreciate uh, what you're doing and how you're doing it. Let's keep uh, trying to bring people together uh, to have those really serious dialogues that we need to have. Let's set the example. We'll do it. Man, do we appreciate so much Senator James Lang for taking the time during his busy, busy day uh, to talk with us here on our little old podcast. So I'm going to bring back on Pastor Bob to talk about some of the things that Senator Langford talked about, one of them being uh, talking about how America seems to be very polarized at this time, you know, and hurting because of these different divisions. And in the interview, Senator Langford uh, talked about how faith leaders is, uh, you know, one of the main ways that can really, really help out in this instance. So Pastor Bob, why do you think faith leaders role is to find their way across these differences and these divides? I think the first thing that they have to do is model. They're modeling. So when people see a pastor, an imam, and a rabbi, they aren't just going, oh yeah, we need to get along, but they're really friends and they like to hang out together. I think we've got a model in our relationships that we can live together. No one's asking anyone to give up their faith to compromise what they believe. And the crazy thing is, as Christians, we're supposed to be, what did Jesus say? In the world, but not of the world. Well, if anybody ought to be present, we Christians is, why is it we just show up with other Christians? But our character built on Jesus is to be light in a different model. So I think the first thing that they have to do, they have to model. I think the second thing they have to do is not use the bully pulpit, but use the holy pulpit. I mean, they have the ability to speak the word of God, to speak scriptures and say, this is what our faith teaches. Who else gets to do that but a cleric? And, you know, everybody else gets to say amen or fall asleep, depending on how good the preacher is. But, but why not? Why not 
Use that pulpit and say, civility means this. Last week I was preaching and literally I made the statement. I said, the kingdom of God is obtained through repentance. And we literally spend our life repenting our way into the kingdom of God. Now we know the kingdom's not complete and won't be until Jesus comes, but we've not been just told to wait and leave things as they are. But since heaven is coming to our life, we're going to bring more heaven into the earth. So I think teaching God's word and what does it teach and what does it say we have to do. And then I also think as a public spokesman, you know, clerics have the ability uh, when there's tense time through news media, through, through communications and otherwise, uh, to be able to speak into issues and, and bring the tension down. And if they don't do that, they, they, they not only miss an opportunity, but you're missing part of the agreement to bring peace down, uh, to bring tension down. And so those are, those are some things I think they can do to really make a difference. To add to that, Bob, I think there's just no better time to do that than right now. And the impact that'll make if you make a shift to start doing that if you're not doing that right now. So thank you so much for listening. Bob, thank you so much for hosting this one with Senator Langford. And for more information on the podcast, show notes, or any references, you can go to bobrobertsjr.com slash podcast. That's bobrobertsjr.com slash podcast. And you can get all the information there. Again, thank you so much for joining us. And remember, at the Bold Love Podcast, we are here to encourage you, the listener, to live out your faith boldly, learn how to better love your neighbor, and learn how to relate to others despite your differences without compromising your faith. Have a great day and be blessed.